Today we're going to be looking at some weather models. So this is the second episode of that two-part series that we started last week where we're looking at forecasting and how to do it and basically how you can be your own meteorologist at home. And so today we're going to be looking at um, the detailed weather models and uh, what I use each one of them for. Um, so you can maybe see based on what we look at what ones you would prefer to use or maybe you could use the same systems. But uh, each model can be used in many different ways. These models are some of my favorite that I use at different times of the year. This is my opinion, so you can go and investigate it, obviously, on your own. And uh, th these are some of the best models to use. And, you know, we're going to go through how to use them, when to use them, and uh, the processes. So, for forecasting, I use PivotalWeather.com. It's a great source. Link in the description for that. I highly suggest you go do it. It is a free source that you can go and look at models and different forecasts and stuff that have already been made for the future. Um, any, they go from like the same day to a month out. And I love using this website because it's all in one spot. And uh, it's a free website. Again, you can go check that out. But uh, we're going to start out with two of the most well-known weather models. And first, we have the GFS. Um, it's also known as the American model. And this model is used most commonly due to its general overview of almost all things weather. So what I did is basically just took some screenshots and just we're going to put them down um, through a list. We're just going to read through each one of them first through all these models. And then the second um, and the end part of the episode, we're going to go through and look at what I use each one for and what I think the best use of each one is um, in kind of the subcategories. So the GFS hosts relative humidity, temperature, temperature and wind barbs, wind chill, heat index, dew point, dew point wind barbs, um, theater uh, wind barbs, uh, AGL wind, relative humidity from 200 millibars um, to 925 millibars. Then you have dew point uh, height wind barbs at 850 and the same thing at 925 millibars. They have PVU surfaces, 2 PVU pressure wind, 2 PVU uh, theta, uh, and that also has wind. Height with vorticity, 500 through 850 millibar height vorticity, and then height with vertical vorticity or velocity um, from 500 to 850. And then they have height and wind from 200 to 925. 500 millibar to 925 millibar temperature height and wind and they have a 500 millibar height anomaly and a 850 millibar temperature anomaly and a lot of these are really good uh, to look through and scan but they you know it's what's amazing is there's so many more of these they have precipitation types quantitative precipitation all the way down through um, integrated moisture from cloud cover to precipital water they call that pwat they have composite reflectivity radar products, and they have PWAT anomalies and AGL temperature anomalies. They have instability from lapse rates to surface base, cape, sin, LCL height, and lifted index. And they have all of the snowfall on the 10 to 1 ratio from 6 to 24 in total. And they also have the Kachura ratio from 6 to 24, even the total uh, ratio snowfall. They have bulk shear, relative storm helicity, energy and helicity index, supercell composites, and combination plots. 
They have snow depth, ice, uh, uh, ice, total accumulated freezing rain, and they have column max temps, Kachura ratios, and snow depth anomalies. So, I mean, looking through all these, it's amazing to see, you know, how many detailed ones they have. And we're not going to get into how many hours and Zs each one goes out, but basically, um, you can see ones that are 24 hours um, all the way up to a month. And the way that you look at your number, number Z time is what we're going to call it, um, is basically if you're on the eastern coast, um, eastern time zone, which uh, your relation is with New York, you are minus 5 from the Z time. If you're in the CST, you are minus 6. MST is minus 7. And then Pacific Standard Time is minus 8. And the reason the, you have to subtract that is because that is the world agreed upon time. So your location is either plus or minus um, the meridian, you know, right in the middle. And so that's you can also see that called the UTC time. And you can do that same thing. So if it says 18, you're going to subtract, let's just say you're in the New York time zone, you're going to subtract 5 from that. So, or if you're at, um, you know, midnight, which is zero, zero Zs, then you will go backwards five hours or however many hours based on your time zone. And that does not change um, whenever you have daylight savings time. It's exactly the same. Um, but, yeah, it's a... Uh, Everything in there is just, you know, it's a calculating little stuff just so everyone's on the same. It's kind of like the military time, but for the whole world. So let's look at the ECMWF high res. And this is called that um, because it's actually its official longer name. There is a normal mode of it that is not high res, but it does not offer as much. Um, its nickname is the European model. We call it the Euro. And this is very good for the uh, basics of, you know, the, you know, there's two basics. There's the GFS, there's the Euro. This is the other good one. And looking at all this, it's all good data, but it's based on which one you think you're in your region you prefer more. And being where I'm from, I really like the Euro model the most. This is my favorite model. And it hosts almost the exact same stuff as the GFS. The problem is with it that doesn't make them exactly the same is the prediction process. They go through a, they go through different NWPs, that numerical weather prediction that we talked about in last week's episode. And whenever you go through all that, uh, stuff's going to change when you change little bits and pieces. And they're in, they're in different locations and using different data and stuff. So it's you're going to get two different things and different two different predictions two different data parcels and it's so it's really important to look at both and but have one that you like especially one that is accurate accurate for your region so it hosts the uh, 200 to 925 millibar uh, height and wind uh, it also does that the same in temperature height wind uh, retel, re relative humidity and wind all the way from 2925 and then 850 to 925 dew point height and wind barbs and at the surface level we have the uh, AGL relative humidity temperature uh, temperature wind barbs wind chill heat index dew point dew point wind barbs uh, and then AGL wind it also uh, hosts anomalies from height and temperature and there are there are vorticities from 500 to 850 and don't forget about the snowfall it um, has the just the 10 to 1 ratio the 6 24 in total and at the surface, you could see the uh, relative humidity, temperature, uh, and a whole bunch of other things such as uh, 
dew point, wind barbs, uh, 10, 10 meter AGL winds, precipitation type, and uh, quantitative precipitation from six to total accumulation. And I'm um, looking at one or two more anomalies. There's obviously that temperature at two meters or two miles. Um, and then wind shear is the bulk shear at surface to 500 millibars. So if you want to look at the global scale model, you're going to want to look at the CFS. This is the long range forecast. It's about a month out. Now, this doesn't have super high accuracy because it is so far out, but it will give you a rough estimate of what actually could happen. So this is different from the GFS and Euro that are very similar because this model is so far out that its data is at little, uh, very little accuracy. So the temperature saying, let's just say it says 50 from a month, month out from now, could be 100 by the time you get there. Or if you're going into the winter time, it could say it's going to be 50 and you could be down near zero. So things can change over a month that you can't predict this far out, which is why this is such a hard model to use. So it, it's not as detailed as the GFS and Euro. There aren't as many subcategories and subcategories of those subcategories. Um, just to give you the examples of what it has, it has surface temperature, dew point, wind, precipitation type and rate, and then quantitative precipitation of 12 hour, 120 hour, and total accumulated precipitation. Height and wind goes from 200 to 850. And then they have temperature, height, and wind com combination. Uh, they have that P-watt, P-watt anomalies, temperature anomalies, and they have the 500 to 850 height anomaly and temperature anomaly, uh, eight, uh, 500 millibar height vorticity, surface-based cape, snow depth, and snow depth anomalies. So you might be thinking, oh, this is useless. Well, no, you're going to want to look at that general precipitation, and including the temperatures, because whenever you combine all that, you can see a month out, okay, this is what it's generally going to be. It works as one of those long-range predictions that the uh, SPC puts out. And so you can check it out for your own region. But a great thing about it is, is that surface-based cape. Most models might run a week or maybe two weeks at the most. This model, however, will give you that three to a month um, scale that will allow you to really see, okay, there's going to be an influx of energy. And with the cape, it's not that far, you know, off accurate it's pretty close and so you can use you know that to tell okay it's in this general region it won't give you the exact location and how much in that one location but it'll give you just that general overview of what's going on in the whole country and so you could see okay in the south in two weeks it's going to be you know some big events going to happen and you can tell that because there's going to be a lot of cape around the south and i mean looking at that that's that's something that can be really valuable for you in the future so now I want to switch to a few models to show you regional and convection allowing systems. These are really important for spring and summer weather. And we're going to start out with NAM. And now NAM is one of my favorites because it is a really detailed severe weather predictor. And it has a lot of the same stuff as the GFS and the stuff before. Just, I, just to skim through it. Same relative humidity and wind, precipitation, uh, height and wind, same surface stuff. Um, it has the same amount of snow, uh, p watts, and you know height and vorticity. And where it differs, however, though, is it has composite 
parameters and instability and also wind shear there is energy helicity um, with height of one to uh, zero to one kilometers there's height helicity indexes of zero to three supercell composites there is that sig tor that significant tornado parameter and then the combination plots and so these are all important to use that um, especially that sig tor and supercell composite because that will allow you to see Okay, we're, this is where all the capes at. You can compare them, actually. This is where the capes at. This is where supercells are going to pop up, where the most capes at. And, okay, in those supercells, where is, is it going to be the highest chance of a tornado? And whenever you combine all those and you, and you predict them all at once, it will really stack and show you right where those tornadoes are going to be. Not, like, right down the street from you type of accuracy, but more of, like, okay, it'll be in this, somewhere in these, like, three or four counties. And that can be really helpful if you are storm chasing. Wind shear, obviously we have bulk shear, but we also include storm helicity uh, at 0 to 1 kilometers and storm relative helicity at 0 to 3. Um, and that can be really helpful too because then you can see the shear. And another uh, really great resource off of this is the instability. There is lapse rate, uh, mixed layers cape, mixed layer sin, um, the most unstable cape, surface-based cape, surface-based sin, uh, surface-based LCL height, and the surface-based lifted index. So when you combine all of those, all, like, what is that, 10, 11, 12 of them, when you combine all of those, you can really see, okay, what what state is it going to be, or what, you could start out, what part of the country is it going to be in? Okay, let's just pick Texas. So we know it's in the south. Okay, let's go ahead and look at the instability. So there's a lot of it in the south. Okay, we narrowed it down to Texas, parts of Oklahoma, and then a little bit east of there. Now look at now looking at the Cape. Okay, we see it's in Texas. We look at the Sin. Okay, yep, it's definitely let's just say in eastern Texas. Then we look at the surface-based Cape again, and we're like, okay, we know it is now in the northeast of the south part of Texas. So then we look at the most unstable cape, and we tell, okay, it is in, let's just say, random city, Dallas. So we see it's in Dallas. Well, then, if you look at some other ones, especially the SIGTOR, you can see, okay, just north of Dallas, there is a really high SIGTOR. Okay, let's go ahead and chase there, and you're going to have the biggest chance of seeing tornadoes there. So when you really combine all these models, they are forced to work together. Whenever you show all of them, they will help you really kind of compile the perfect data on what will happen. So another model that is very similar to this is the HRRR model, and it holds basically all of this information. Um, it also includes some simulated satellite feeds, some different uh, radar reflectivities, and in the instability portion, there's a lifted LCL and some surface-based LCL, but there's also that lapse rate of seven to 500 millibars. And so while these two are exactly the same in many regards, you know, it's kind of like the GFS to Euro, sub little subtle changes are going to change, you know, how you see and look at these models. So really using NAM and the HRRR model, if you kind of do the mean of both of those plus the GFS and Euro, you're going to get almost a precise, um, you know, prediction of what's going to happen. 
And, you know, another great one is the HRWRF uh, and SSL. And it holds a whole lot of uh, instability and parameters. So, you know, it has all of our instability, all of the wind, shield, uh, wind shear, uh, all the composite parameters. And it also has explicit convective products. It has reflectivity, helicity updrafts, um, and helicity updrafts um, on a max run. So... Uh, the combination plots are also there, but looking at all these, we can really see, you know, how many of them hold the same stuff, but how different these models can be. And that's why models are so great, is because you can compare and contrast on each one of them and then figure out what you like. So the other one that uh, we are looking at is the GEFS, and it is a more basic one. It has all of your wind, all your wind height uh, and temperatures, and then the anomalies, and then the quantitative precipitation, P watts, cloud cover, snow depth, and then it also has that mixed layer cape. And looking at these models, these are the ones that I think are the best to use. Now, obviously, you can have your own opinion, so I highly suggest going to Pivotal Weather and checking it out. But right after this break, we're going to be actually going back and looking at each one of these to see, you know, what ones are my favorite and what I use them for and what time of year and even in, like, let's just say the spring, where and when and how I will use each one of these. That's, of course, in my opinion. So, yep, right after the break, we're going to go ahead and dive in and check that out. So, obviously, GFS and Euro are going to be our, you know, normal models we're going to use those for everything kind of generally and i mean personally for me i use those year round i use the uh, gfs mostly for snow in the winter time but looking at the euro i really just use the euro any time of the year because i mean both these models are really good at the overview of things so they're very good whenever weather isn't as interesting but the uh you know euro isn't as detailed on the snow ratios and everything so that's why I prefer the GFS for that. Now, looking at, like, you know, the CFS model, obviously, you know, there's not really much going on with it. So I per uh, personally will look at precipitation type and temperature, you know, for that far out. And that is really good personally, I think, for just checking to see, okay, you know, I want to see and predict, okay, how much rain you think I'll probably get next month or whatever. Or, you know, okay, it's the beginning of spring. Let's look and see, you know, what the temperature's going to be like. Is it going to be above or below average? Oh, okay, every day is going to be this degree. And let's look and see what the average is. Oh, it's five degrees above average. So it's good to see, you know, averages over a long time. And looking at, you know, type of NAM and that type in the HH, uh, HRRR, NAM, I really like for severe weather. That is really the only thing I use NAM for. And it's so accurate, in my opinion, with severe weather because everything that you look at, um, at least over the time I've used it, has happened in about that same place. Location isn't precise, obviously, but it is about the same. It might just be like a few minutes to maybe an hour or two off. It's not, you know, it's not like complete systems are changing. I I really I'm really impressed with Nam and how it's doing. Uh, I do really like that for that you know cape and then instability. But my favorite part is the supercell composite and the SIGTOR. Um, those are what impress me the most. 
um, the HRRR, I really like that for instability. That is the only thing I will use it for is the instability in the uh, springtime and when severe weather is happening because it is really good at showing, you know, you can combine that with NAM and whenever you do that, um, they really work together well. They are a good uh, cohesive uh, model pair. And whenever you look at both of them, you end up with a, a really accurate um, representation of where energy is going. And when you can do that, even if you can't predict, you know, what city the tornado is going to be nearest to, you can predict, you know, pretty closely, okay, it's going to be one of these two cities, rather than being like, okay, it's going to be in this general region of the state, which is very impressive. And, I mean, looking at some of the bigger models, uh, like the HR, yeah, the HRWRF and uh, SSL, looking at those, I just use these ones for the, what, what make them unique. You know, their explicit convective products, the combination parts, and some wind shear, and then that composite reflectivity radar product. And looking at those, and especially that same thing on the uh, GEFS, um, looking at that, those little things like cloud cover and then the, those anomalies and then PWAT anomalies are what really se separate those from just those normal GFS Euro models. So if you're using all those, I suggest that you, you know, if you're just starting out to try out, try it out with that first because you will get great results with that so far. And, you know, looking at all those models, you can pick a hundred different other ones, but those are just the ones I like using the most because you can get the most out of them. And, I mean, you have all the data right there. And we're going to go into some of those of those EDU videos we're going to be posting here coming up since it's spring. But on the day of recording this, um, which is Sunday, March 1st, meteorological spring, uh, you know, we're going to have to start looking into, you know, what are... The future products that will show us with most accuracy where the tornado is going to be at. That's going to be something that coming up here in the next few years as technology improves will be crucial in developing, you know, further out tornado sirens and uh, warnings and stuff, you know, and better coverage. Um, and that's going to be something that will save lives. So I'm really interested to see where that's going. But looking at all these models overall, we will dive into much more um, at times of the year. That's why we're trying to decide right now what our ideas are for next season. And, you know, we could go one of two ways. You know, we could do podcasts like these where we just cover the basics and then the EDU videos during the week where we dive into these topics full detail and in depth. Um, or what we could do is, you know, every once in a while post a podcast, it'll be a short one about, you know, whatever topic we're going to talk about for that week, it'll be a very on-topic thing, and shift these kind of off-topic episodes to EDU videos that will happen during the week, um, but that is something that we're definitely going to have to look at, and that leads us to the kind of the outro of our video here, and that uh, leads us to the end of season two. And thank you so much for such a good season two. We've had good responses and good uh, crowd participation things uh, throughout our social medias. And a few updates on our upcoming season on what to expect. Um, we will update you every week uh, via Twitter on what what the posting schedule will be like or if any info on the episode. So as I said before, we are going to be changing it up a little bit, just testing. Uh, spring and summer are a very busy time, especially in the spring. In the summer, we are very busy, but stuff is spread out a little bit longer. Since you have a bit more time and stuff, you can get more things done with more daylight. So that's something we're going to have to look into. 
So as of right now, we will post what the week's schedule is every Monday. And whenever you see that, it'll be a Monday morning post, so you can look for that on our Twitter. Whenever you see that, you could just plan out, okay, this is going to happen, then I'll pay attention to that here or there. And with spring, obviously, it's more severe weather. So not only are we going to be doing a little bit less on the podcast side, we're going to be doubling and tripling our original suggested uh, EDU videos, and every time a severe event happens, especially over the summer, we're going to be trying to be covering that with live updates, live uh you know, stuff where, like, as soon as as soon as the radar model updates, we will post, like, a 15-second video with what um, is going to be happening next and updates on, you know, uh, some few-minute forecasts and that type of thing. And it will be something that will change and something that we're looking into, especially with the severe stuff. We have more time over that fall and winter season to really you know post more because there's not as much happening but when severe season kicks up that's when you know most of this happens and so we're going to be trying to test out a few new things so i mean probably expect the average podcast to be you know 10 to 15 minutes at most um and then you can expect almost every week or if not every other week um there will be definitely weeks where we have two or three podcasts posted in a week and we might go two or three weeks without a podcast either but really our big focus is going to shift from the podcast here at the ef network to you know those edu videos because it, these podcasts are great to just sit down and talk about but the full focus these first two seasons have been you know just full detail and information but how about we switch this detail and information to an edu platform let's change it to an educational platform that we can set in a good setting and things let's set you know let's make the podcast something where we could sit down and just talk about craziness that's happening and just other topics that we haven't really done before so that's something i'm looking forward into changing into and that's all going to happen along the um, posting of our website which is very close to being finished and just a few more things we're working on with that so super excited for that, and stay tuned. Uh, we're going to be having a podcast coming up um, here to start out Season 3 at the first week of Astronomical Spring, whenever everyone recognizes spring. We're going to be having our first podcast of Season 3 come out then, and be ready for some great EDU videos to come out soon. So make sure you check those out on our YouTube channel, our Twitter, and even our Instagram for some photos of severe weather and stuff that will be happening soon. So I wanted to thank you all so much, and make sure you're staying tuned on updates and everything. Um, and, you know, the best places to be informed are in our description, under social medias. And, um, yeah, just the best way to connect. And you could, we have interactive polls and many other things that will be happening. I want to thank you all so much again for such a good Season uh, 1 and Season 2. And hopefully we can make Season 3 a successful season. And you uh, all will like the switch between the podcast being informational to kind of a nice, chiller time where, we'll, where we will be able to um, you know, sit back and talk about weather without having to be so detailed. Um, but yeah, make sure you're checking out those EDUs. And thank you all so much again.